Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through Karstinia this episode are... Hi, I'm Paul. And tonight, I'm feeling like Duran Duran. Because I'm hungry like the wolf. <laughs> That's a good one. And I'm Phil. Have you given blood yet? Please, if you can, give blood to help quench the thirst of these poor soul blight cursed fellows <laughs> generally that's just good advice uh, and I'm Aaron um, and it feels like it's a Virkos bar mitzvah in here spooky scary boys becoming men men becoming wolves in this episode we cover the lore of the soul blight gravelord's battle tome get ready to hear a whole lot of disdain intrigue and thirst traps and then if we have time after all that we'll talk about those soul blight how are you tonight you bags of vitae i'm still going on that boys to men reference that you just like skipped over and i've got like seven songs running through my head now uh is one of the songs werewolf bar mitzvah <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like i remember that one that one was like mm-hmm. just top of the charts there right <laughs> sure. um, um, so in this episode we are going to be talking about the soul blight grave lords battle tome that came out relatively recently and i define relatively and define recently um but we're excited to uh, chat about these here vampire and their ilk but before we do uh, i want to hear from you guys and i want to know what you've been up to hobby wise tell the people and tell me uh, we were lucky enough to get a box of Blood Knights uh, with this from GW with the Battle Tome. So uh, I have been painting up a Blood Knight, which has been pretty fun, and working on my Harkiron again. That's kind of boring. Oh, that's boring. I think that's exciting. But uh, Blood Knights are exciting as well. Um, hey, Phil, what, what, have, uh, what have you been up to? Yeah, so I, I've also been playing, painting a Blood Knight. Um, what? Yeah, shockingly. So I guess uh, may, maybe you'll have seen it by the time this comes out. But we uh, we decided to do a bit of a painting competition between us uh, hosts. And uh, so we decided in a week that we'd each paint up one blood night. So that should be cool. And hopefully you'll all get to see them. And if not, uh, just let us know and we can get you those pictures. Or you can go look, uh, scroll back, and I think some of them have already been posted in the hobby channels of our, of our Discord. True, but I mean, considering how much people talk in there, they, you could be scrolling for a while. Uh, frankly, I, I had to mute the thing. It goes too fast for me. It's too much, <laughs> too much you guys. Yeah, I, I've also done the same for a lot of the channels. <laughs> it's, not um, that I don't, it's not that I don't like you, people. My phone just wouldn't stop buzzing 24 hours a day because people in <laughs> Europe... Um, but yeah, other than the Blood Knight, though, I've also been working on Underworld stuff. Got uh, got another recording in the can for that, for the What the Hex, and been working on getting ready to record more for What the Hex because they just keep throwing them at us. There's no stopping, no rest for the wicked. And in this no. case, you guys are the, the wicked. Um, and... Uh, Coincidentally, I too have been. I painted a blood knight. Wait, wait, what? Paint? By that I mean just I threw contrast paint at uh, at a blood knight, and we just and I just saw what stuck basically. So like that. And uh, I think I think it. I mean, for a very quick paint job, it it shows what contrast can do because it it looks solid. 
I don't, I'm not even going to, it's fine. It's whatever. Um, <laughs> but circling back to the pictures, though, I will say, furthermore, uh, there are a couple of pictures maybe in the Hobby Channel. But if you wanted to see each of the, our painters' progression, um, sort of the, the works in progress that we did over the course of the week, actually, we were sharing some sneak peek uh, preview pictures in our Patreon only channel in our Discord too. So uh, the folks in there actually got maybe they were a little bombarded with some of our our uh, <laughs> Blood Knight pictures. So that was pretty cool uh, as well. Um, and then furthermore, I just will touch on the fact that guys, just the other day, last Thursday, you two and some other folks were able to swing by Casa de Me uh, and play some <laughs> games on our, and my I'm a deck outside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You can't even remember the name of your house anymore. It's been so long since people have been there. Yeah, I haven't had to reference it. So uh, we hung out on the deck. It's gotten warm. The lights were shining. Uh, there were some games. There was a game of uh, Underworlds going on. And then we all circled up and uh, dove back into the Cursed City. What a delight. What a pleasure. Um, and so it was nice to see folks in the flesh. Uh, Eric came around again. You know, Eric, you guys know Eric. Um he was able to join us yet again, though he had to divert his eyes from the model so he did, he wouldn't get sucked back into the <laughs> hobby. Uh, but all in all, it was a grand old time, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. You might say he was a, he was like a, a possessed revenant, uh, um, trying not to uh, suck the blood from our hobby and uh, have it take over him and consume his soul. Oh my gosh! Is this some? Is this a uh, segue into uh, some sort of soul blight grave lords conversation? Because I do believe it's time uh, that we hop into our story phase. If Paul would be so kind to take us there. Oh God, I interrupted him. Oh, this is embarrassing. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. We sure. All right, so this is a battle tome uh, conversation. It's been a hot second since we've had to do one, of, not had to, before we've gotten to, before we had the pleasure to uh, do one of these. And so as a place to start, uh, I don't know if anyone gets as much enjoyment out of this segment as I do, but uh, I'm going to ask you guys if you could give me basically a, a one-sentence summary of who this race is, who this faction is. Um Basically, describe it, sum them, up, sum them up in a sentence, this multifaceted uh, faction into one sentence uh, as best you can. And then I will, uh, I will evaluate um, each one individually. So who wants to go first? I need a volunteer. I can take a stab at it. Nice. By all means, you also cheated because I saw that you wrote it down. It's supposed to be off the cuff. Those are the rules. Oh, well, I will remember that for the future. But I mean, what I wrote was off the cuff, so maybe it, it counts. Okay, I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the Soulblight Grave Lords are undead armies uh, ruled by cursed mortals to live forever and undeath with an unquenchable thirst for blood to a varying degree based on what dynasty of vampire they belong to. Hmm. Okay, all right. Uh, I can see how could that, that could be construed as one sentence. I like it. Um, Paul, would you like to take a stab at it? I'm going with a blood-sucking, bat-winged, bag-of-bones, boy-and-girl scout jamboree. Let's go with that. <laughs> There's a lot of bees in there. There's some good wow. alliteration. Um, let's see. I normally don't have to do it, but there's only the three of us today, so maybe I feel obligated. Uh, I'm so out of practice. One sentence. Okay, so the Soulblight Gravelords is, is an army made up of um, vampiric overlords and their undead thralls. Um, scouring the the mortal realms in an attempt to conquer it 
in the name of Nagash, but then also their own uh, power seeking efforts. Oh God, one yeah. sentence is hard. <laughs> so strong. Yeah, no, you did. It's the momentum. <laughs> and I, I always lose uh, lose momentum at the end there. Um, Soul by Grave Lords. It's basically Legions and Nagash uh, with a different name. But let's let's unpack that a little bit. So uh, it's a vampiric army, but of course they've got a lot of underlings that aren't necessarily vampires as well. Um, but I think uh, the the faction, the army, the 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 soul by grave lords are everything sort of stems from those uh, vampires uh, that are in the, in the name, and that's I think where the the faction begins. Should we talk about their origins and where they come from, and so on and so forth? Let's start at the beginning because, as Paul knows, it's a very good place to start. Exactly. Yeah, hit me, hit me, tell me about it. So, basically, what we're talking about is. The, even the idea and the presence of vampires in not even just the Age of Sigmar, but also in Warhammer Fantasy. Um, because Nagash is the god of death, god of undeath. Um, and Nagash is not actually a vampire. He's basically a necromancer, lich, god, right? Um, and the same thing with Archon, who is very much his personal servant, etc. Uh, so we actually actually have to tap down into the supposed first vampire, according to this battle tome, which is Neferata. Um, so Neferata is a Mortark, and back into the Warhammer fantasy, um, just because I'm saying it, please don't put it back another two years for release, Tomb King's origin of sucking blood in order to attain eternal life. And what we are doing is we are tracing that single lineage, um, ostensibly, down into the mortal realms, which is quite a long way, and we have some quite divergent paths as we get there. So that's kind of where we're starting, um, and what the, the main thrust of the book goes from there. Yeah. Um, I think I'll just, I'll just point out the, just a quick sort of like, how did we bridge the gap from the old world to the mortal realms? And basically when Nagash reformed in the mortal realms, he then went out and found the souls of his servants, his Mortarks, Neferata and Manfred and brought them back and said, all right, you guys go out and start raising more vampires, which, of course, they were more than happy to oblige. The intriguing aspect about this uh, this take is that I, f I don't feel like it wasn't spelled out quite exactly the same, or I hadn't led, read the Lumineth Realm Lords Battle Tome yet when I had gone through the Soul Blight or the Legion of the Gash book before. But it really kind of talks about Nagash going through and grabbing all the bits of the soul stuff, very much like Teclis did for Eltherion um, to reform his Mortarks. Uh, it, it wasn't so much of like, oh, I'm going to go find their soul on a quest. Oh, here's the soul. I'm going to reform them. It was more of gathering every trace of who they were and forming it into the Mortark themselves, um, which is a pretty dedicated tech, uh, dedicated uh, quest for Nagash to do. Uh, it's a very loyal thing for him to do, which seemed uh, 
like the first loyal thing that I've actually <laughs> read about him doing. So that was kind of cool. But both, I mean, loyal, but then also incredibly self-serving at the same time. I don't know if he's doing it like out of uh, some sense of duty or he's like, well, I already know I've got you people in my back pocket. Let me just recreate you and bind you to my will. So if we <laughs> want to call that loyalty, again. <laughs> which I guess. Yeah, I'm so going to punish everybody again. I remember how to punish you guys. So I'm going to raise you first and then keep punishing you. And then maybe I'll remember how to punish new people. But so generally, the the the, con, the conceit is that uh, Nagas rolls up, he recreates his Mortarks, and then they re they reintroduce the curse of vampiricism into the moral realms. And it could be said that many, maybe even most, but not necessarily all, uh, of the moral realms vampires uh, sort of stem from that from those two from from neferata and then uh the sort of remade manfred as well in the moral realms yeah that is that is at least what the book tells us so if we can believe that that's what actually happened then yes oh don't get paul started about the unreliable narrator <laughs> um oh so this this of course uh takes place in the age of myth and so at it's at this point in time uh nagash is nominally uh part of sigmar's pantheon of order right and mm, so yeah. it's it's a little tricky if you're going to start sending out your vampire underlings to go and start like feasting on like the denizens of like the other gods like realms and like you know their worshipers and stuff and so i think i don't know if it's explicitly spelled out but i'm getting the impression that these vampires had to sort of be a little undercover and not so open about you know harvesting uh just the, the mere mortals out there um which I thought was, I know, particularly interesting that that like these servants of Nagash had to sort of work under the cover of darkness, so to speak. Um, and I think one of the one of the stories that they show us in the Age of Myth kind of kind of spells that out a little bit. In that there's, it's called the the War of the Nail, and there's this two group of Duarden living in Shaman. And um, this, they start to have like basically, a, I don't know if it's a civil war, but they're, they're, they're at each other's throats, these two clans. Um, there's a, a murder on one side and then there's a murder on the other side. And each clan, you know, thinks that the other side did it. And so they're having this, this bitter battle, this bitter grudge war between them. Um, eventually, they try to put their differences aside and have this peace, uh, peace meeting. But it turns out in the middle of this, you know... Um, this, 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 these peace talks, Manfred comes up out of nowhere and it turns out like he'd orchestrated the whole thing. Uh, and he attacks, uh, from this realm gate, uh, below, below the meeting that they're having and then proceeds to like, just rant, uh, destroy both sides. And so he had him, he had him playing off each other the, the whole time. So it just goes to show that like, he couldn't be completely overt with his actions, but he sort of had to work behind the scenes to, um, I don't know, take take these Duarden out for whatever his nefarious his nefarious plans were. So um that's pretty cool, I guess. If you're into vampires wrecking Duarden, which mo I think most people are, right? So uh that's that's pretty neat. I think that basically sets us up for the behavior of at least the main two dynasties, the Legion of Night and the Legion of Blood, and how they kind of operate outside of Shaish in general and that they they never do anything directly they're always fighting shadow wars um which we'll see a lot more of later on Ooh, good uh good looking forward good 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 thoughts um so do you have any other do we have any other um i've got some give early uh so uh 
one of the things it talks about is that Nagash um, has been killed before. Um, he was killed in the old world. Uh, he was taken out by Archaon in the in the mortal realms, um, and uh, Sigmar found him underneath a, a a massive mountain, basically like a pile of rock. Um, I don't particularly remember if it was called out as Realmstone in the last book, but it's definitely called out as Realmstone this time. Um, so it was kind of an interesting detail. And one of the ways that Nagash gained such power in Shayesh is that he went about consuming the other gods. And there is a fascinating little detail in here that talks about how the city of Lethus says that Morda, the god of death from the old empire was more, so I take that for what you will, was somebody who escaped the clutches of Nagash. So laying the groundwork that not every god of death or god of an underworld was consumed, but also very blatantly stating that the vast majority of the underworld's gods were taken out or consumed. Um, and that's how Nagash got such power and was able to work such wondrous magics quote-unquote wondrous there can there can only be one lord of the undead so there you go i see his pettiness and his uh just general vindictiveness again if if you haven't seen enough of nagash being petty and vindictive yet the message hasn't been received if you haven't gotten the hint yet um so paul you had, you had alluded to uh, something that i think takes place at the beginning of the age of chaos if if you guys wouldn't mind moving on to that next uh that next age um and that uh nagash is defeated um because with the age of chaos and i think we've covered this before the uh when when chaos starts is, is is ascendant right uh and the pantheon of order starts to crumble um the feud between sigmar and nagash um sort of starts or become, comes to a head uh nagash isn't doesn't support sigmar you know some important battles that need to be done uh sigmar gets ticked gets po'd um that uh, he's sort of left in the lurch by nagash and then so he goes tear tearing through uh Shayish, trying to bring Nagash to, I don't know, justice, or maybe he's just really ticked off and he wants to hit him with a hammer. Uh, it's through this that he, like, he kills Catac... Yeah, he, he drops Catacross <laughs> throughout this process. Um, but Nagash is always able to uh, fend off Sigmar um, and sort of escape his, his wrath for a while. But to the point that Paul was making, um, eventually, at the Battle of Black Skies, uh, Archaon um, is able to... He himself is able to catch up with Nagash at Nagashazar and is able to uh defeat him driving him into like a secret sub uh underworld uh where nagash has to lick his wounds and this is one of uh, one of the times where yet again his mortarks are able to have exercise a little bit of autonomy both in sort of his defense and sort of protecting his secret uh, his secret recovery area sub realm um but then in doing so his they're not necessarily quite as under the thumb of, Nag of Nagash as they are, normally are. And so then they're, they're a little bit off the leash uh, to some degree um, and able to, um, I'll say, have to tend to their own affairs, which in the Age of Chaos means that they have to protect their own strongholds from uh, the rampaging chaos forces in Shayish. Yeah, right? That's about it. Right. Um, yeah. did, any of the, did any of the stories or do you have anything to add about the Age of Chaos, my friends? I mean, it's it's all ground that we've covered before. I, I do think that it is interesting that, again, we get this sort of recap of 
Sigmar and his just towering rages where he just loses sight of the big picture and is just like, nope, it's time to go smack Nagash. Well, chaos is literally rampaging across all the realms. He's just like, nope, me and my hammer are going to go kick this bony butt uh, because he's <laughs> crazy. And I mean, it's just so it's just so short sighted. But I guess it's kind of nice to know that even like the supreme god of the mortal realms is fatally flawed. Um but I guess that's probably because they based him on Zeus, and Zeus is also fatally flawed and known for having a ridiculous temper. I mean, at one point he takes his most powerful weapon and throws it at an illusion and then loses it for yeah, for, yeah. for centuries. I know, yeah. So so I mean nothing new here, like I said, but it's it's just keep reading about it over and over again and you're like man really he could have probably stopped this whole thing if you just kept your head no such luck oh uh one other thing that they do mention it, that happens during the age of chaos is that uh radicar shows up in mournhold and saves the city from forces of chaos and instead of completely taking over the city he just installs himself amongst the uh, city council and basically just says, yep, just give me a place uh, among your elites. And uh, they are pretty much in a position where they can't refuse. And we then see the beginning of the subjugation and uh, vampiric takeover of what will become Ulfenkarn. Yeah, so that's a new tidbit. Uh, given with the release of Curse City, um, they're able to uh, highlight some of the, um, the the pertinent timelines from you know from the the city of Olfenkarn. Um So it's great to see that integrated with the the larger story that we know from you know the transition from Age of Myth to Age of Chaos, Chaos, et cetera, et cetera. To see it sort of inserted in here uh, is is enlightening, illuminating. Yeah, so after doing Broken Realms, uh, it's kind of fun where the, the hallmark of Broken Realms is gods being actual gods, right? In this battle tome, we go back to gods being gods with a little g, right? We're dwelling on these stupid little actions that they did that could have saved the world if they were just smart about it, but because they weren't, are end up dooming their entire civilization, Right? And in, in Broken Realms, there's so much agency that the gods have, it's been refreshing. And to come back to a battle tome, it's actually a little refreshing to be like, okay, we're actually going to let the other characters take the front stage here. Um, it's still going to be realm-shaking stories. It's still going to be, you know, an actual history of what happened before. But it allows the little people, as it were, uh, air quotes, to take some of that center stage. And Radikar is a great example of one lone figure who is not a god, who is not a Mortark, that really is allowed to shine and told his story, along with Neferata and Manfred and uh, all these other characters. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. I agree. Other Age of Chaos thoughts. Oh, I'll sneak one in here. I just thought it was cool that given that Nagash got his butt kicked, um, he wasn't present at the Battle of Burning Skies, which is what like a lot of the other 
you know, uh, there's a big, big fight after the fact. Um, and it's kind of one of the things that forces Sigmar to retreat. However, it does say that there was a group, some bands of honor bound blood knights who did, uh, join the fight. So even without Nagash being around, yeah. um, there are some autonomous blood knights who were able to, who, who decided to join the battle cause they're sort of honor bound and they, they joined with their like previous allies. So I thought that was neat. It was a good way to sort of highlight the fact that vampires aren't mindless thralls, but they themselves, um, can you know they have they have their own agency as paul uh, likes to talk about well and on that note there also is a little passage in here talking about how vampires don't actually have to be evil there are vampires out in the world who are able to contain themselves and are just living relatively normal lives who don't see people as chattel or you know just prey but they do live relatively order relatively good lives so that was a nice little tidbit. Yeah, I agree. Um, other Age of Chaos stuff y'all y'all want to talk about? Because if not, let's go to the best age, the Age of Sigmar. Well, I guess if you're Sigmar, it's the best age. I shouldn't speak for everyone. Um, the Age of Sigmar. So uh, the gates get locked. Chaos is rampaging. Um, Shyish is, for the most part, fairly overrun with chaos but uh they're obviously those vampire lords that are you know that still have strength are able to survive uh eventually sigmar kicks his doors open sends the stormcast and that allows some relief to the realms and even though obviously nagash and his forces aren't on sigmar's side anymore at the very least they get to benefit from the uh, uh i guess the re- relief for lack of another word um that sigmar provides and nagash is able to return to the land of the living <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> and this is kind of where he starts to really push his uh, great plan, uh, which ends up resulting in the Necroquake. I guess I think he maybe started a long time ago, but this is where it really kicks into overdrive a little bit. Um, yeah. Yada yada yada. Uh, necro or uh, grave sand, big pyramid inverted. Uh, Necroquake Skaven uh, breaks everything. Time of tribulations, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about this ad nauseum at this at this point. Um, is there anything about this time that you guys want to bring up as it relates to the soul soul blight? Um, so, as Aaron was yada yada yadaing about, this is where this is where the game started, right? The game started. Age of Sigmar's story started um, with the dawning of the Stormcast, and so. The reason why we've covered all this stuff before is because this is current history that has become uh, ancient history at this point. Um, And as is kind of the pattern now, we're adding in some of these stories into the history that we thought we knew. Um, So Radicar was one of those stories that was added in, um, but it makes sense. Radicar is a single person um, acting alone or with a small army in a specific place. And uh, the other thing is that we've got Neferata, we've got Manfred, we've got Lakovai, we've got Radukar, and uh, Prince Vordry is back as well um, for the Castellai, if that's the right name. Um, but what we're missing in this book that was in Legions of Nagash before is we're missing Archon. And uh, so, spoilers, um, Archon uh, had some bad times in Broken Realm's Techless, and so we don't have that master necromancer that we've had in the past. But necromancers are in the book. Um, so that's kind of why 
it is dominated by the vampires is we've lost one of those threads and we've lost one of those storylines, at least for the time being. Um, and that is a awesome and brand new thing in a, a battle tome or an army book, what have you, uh, as opposed to previously where you would kind of just have stuff added in. This is one of the first times where we've had somebody taken out. Uh, and I think it really helps to define where the faction is. And it, it gives it a lot of fluidity, which is something that most of the factions don't have right now. So it's super cool to me. I, uh, I, I agree completely um, in that I think a lot of these battle tomes could be well served by removing stuff. And you're right, this this might be one of the few times that I can think of where, and, and of course it's a little bit of a special case, but one of the few times I can think of where they have removed something from the battle tome. I think there's a lot, a lot of these books that um, are dragging along a lot of baggage from, uh, you know, Warhammer Fantasy could do well to, uh, to see a little trimming. And um, now, of course, I wouldn't think that, I wouldn't say that Arcan is necessarily something that needed to be trimmed, but it proves that it can be done. And if you ask me, they could, they could do more of it um, in the future. Yeah. Did uh did uh any of the other stories grab you in this in this age of Sigmar? And we sort of we've sort of progressed uh through the tri- time of tribulations, through the Soul Wars, um and we'll we'll get to Broken Realms in a moment, but uh Yeah. More stories. I, I the only other story that really grabbed me is just because it, it felt like such a tack on story where um they they have a story specifically for the Castelli where they kill this specific group of ogres that are like known for gathering mothots full of blood. And then after defeating all the ogres, raise them up and then have them as zombies carry their mothots back into the Crimson Keep full of this blood. And they specifically say like for unknown reasons. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. cool, I guess. But like, are you good? Are they really going to come back to this thread? Because it kind of feels like they threw this in just to be like, hey, here's a story for the cast alive. But on the same, at the same time, it's like there's now this like open ended thing of maw pots that maybe are going to get used by vampires. Yeah. So who knows when we're going to hear about that coming back up. I think it's the sort of thing where they're never going to come back to it and they leave it intentionally open and open ended. So you can do something with your imagination. Like they, they, yeah. they leave it open so that, you know, your imagination runs wild and maybe one day you finish the story with, you know, on the table or, or, or what have you. Um, and by you, I mean you specifically Phil. Yeah. Yeah. It's like oh. vampire ogres, like Eric has in his army, right? That'd be kind of cool. Or the, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we already have, zombie ogres in uh yeah yeah that's what i was thinking in her city so i mean that, that'd be pretty cool but yeah. yeah so i particularly enjoyed the a thorned rose story um so i and for a couple of different reasons one the first sentence nagash remains largely quiet throughout the season of war so the season of war was an actual time wasn't it uh or is that the yeah no it was hmm. That, that was the campaign. Correct. But where, I, think they, I think they use the term for like that era of time as well. Correct. So 
I, I feel like it's a little bit of a, a call out to like the deaf players being like, hey, you could have done a little bit more during our worldwide campaign to make some cool stuff happen. But anyway, <laughs> right? Um, uh, but they're talking about Lord Veritans and agents of the Order of Azir. So we're getting a shout out for the Ordens of Order of Azir in here. Um, become increasingly obsessed with rooting out vampiric blood cults nested within the free cities. Um, so there are a couple other small mentions of the Order of Azir and uh, other orders who are dedicated to hunting vampires. And so we're getting some free cities, free people, um, cities of Sigmar flavor thrown in here um, for the price of a vampire as well. So that's pretty cool. And actually, this ties into a question uh, asked, I was going to bring it up a little later, but it actually fits pretty good right here, that, uh, asked by our listener uh, in front of the show, Thundercake. Um, and just as an aside, hey guys, if, if you want to ask a question to have us talk about it on our show, you can just ask it uh, in our Discord whenever I put the call out uh, with no notice or advanced warning whatsoever. And our Discord, of <laughs> course, is www.themoralrealms.com slash Discord. But anyways, back to Thundercake's question. Um Yes, uh, have vampires infiltrated the free cities and anything about witch hunters or order of Azir in the book? Um, as Paul alluded to, I think it, 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 there's a couple uh, crumbs in, in, the, in the battle tome, and this is one here talking about how uh, that order of Azir becomes pretty obsessed with rooting out vampiric blood cults in mm -hmm. those free cities. And then, so some thunder cake crumbs, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's exactly, that's exactly right. No, thunder cake doesn't have crumbs. You eat the whole thing. Um, whether you <laughs> the thunder cake is a lie. <laughs> uh, but they do call out um, the Order of Azir. There are a couple, like I said, free cities. Uh, one of them is called the Silver Circle. Um, they're, they are definitely fleshing out the Order of Azir. They're not fleshing it out in the cities of Sigmar Battle Tome. Uh, but we are getting more and more details, more and more little things. Maybe Kragnos will have a little bit more for us as well. Who knows? Um, so we'll see how that happens. Yeah, I'm excited to yeah. find out more. Um, and then the final story I'd, I'll want to talk about here uh, is uh, the one that sort of takes place in the era of Broken Realms, which is one called the War of the Mortarks. And so if you recall, dear listeners, and I'm sure you do, because it was just the other day uh, when we talked about the Broken Realms techless, um, there was the, I don't know what the term was, what they called them, but the fact that Nagash sent his Mortarks into the respective realms to sort of create many Shaish Nadirs. Um, we talked about how he sent Man Manfred into Gairan. Manfred intentionally uh, got his butt kicked so he could turn around and head back into Shaish and start to annex some of Neferata's territory. We've talked before about how the, the, soul, the vampires are... Uh, insidious and backstabby and there's a lot of courtly intrigue and so this was him taking advantage of an opportunity to uh take some of her um i don't know territories um and this then sort of kicks off what i think we had speculated at the time uh kicks off what ends up being a sort of a pseudo vampire civil war a little bit um one of, one of these sort of um i guess actual narrative pieces that we get in here rather than just a recap is a conversation between Manfred and Neferata talking about his invasion of her lands and annexing of her territories at the edges of her lands. Um, 
and it specifically makes mention of uh, Manfred going to Nagash's and being in Nagash's court, although not daring to sit on his actual throne, although it seems to imply that by mentioning that, that that's what he wants. Um, and this is where we see the five Mortark mirrors, and one of them is broken, which, I mean, we I think we know at this point that that's because uh, our friend Archon, the Black, is AWOL. He's, he's not my friend. I, <laughs> well, I just want to make that clear. Fair. fair. Um, I, and to be more clear, I want him to be my friend. I'm just not there yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not no. friend of the show, Archon. <laughs> but so we see this dialogue and, and Nafarada is obviously upset, but she being the sort of master manipulator and spy and sort of shadow crafty type person that she is, doesn't directly say like, Man, I'm so mad at you, Manfred. I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> but uh, but she she instead just sort of implies that like, you know, Nagash is gonna he's he's bound to know what you did and that you messed up his plans, and that if if you keep all this up when he's back, he's gonna know what happened. Like he's gonna know that you're the reason that he got messed up and. Like, did you plan for that? And Manfred, of course, says, of course, I thought about that. Of course, I planned for this. Why else would I have done it? But it certainly seems like he is actually afraid of what's going to happen to him. But since Manfred is often a little bit short-sighted, he makes these brilliant plans, but then, like, stops one step short of the end of the plan. Um so we, we don't actually know yet how the War of the Mortarks is going to end. Um, and who knows when we're actually going to hear about how it's going to end because we got to skedaddle on over to what's going on in Gur. Yeah, the time of death is over. Uninterested. Um, I thought it was inter- interesting in that little story. In fact, this little, this was, this, this conversation between Manfred and Nefrana, in my mind, is probably the most interesting part of the whole book. Um, but it, it's, it's, she's, like you said, she flat out says Manfred Hayden, and I guess it's going to be pretty PO'd when uh, he comes back. And Manfred's response is great in that he says, oh, I know Nagash. I've, I've known him for a long time, and I've seen him do terrible, awful things to people. Like, I know what he's capable of. And despite all that, I still did what I did. So now, now that you know what I know, do you doubt like my resolve? Like given yeah. that I've seen this awful things that he's done, I must've been, I, I, it shows how dedicated I dedicated I am to whatever his cause is um, to have done that because I know what's going to, what's waiting for me on the other side. If you know, I, I fail or I get caught from Nagesh. So it really speaks to his bravado, I guess. Um, or it really makes you think that he does really have something up his sleeve or he is really, he's got this great plan. Um, and hopefully it, and to my mind, hopefully it does end up, being something and not just him talking which now that i'm saying it out loud it's probably just him talking <laughs> isn't it he's not he doesn't have a plan oh yeah. man Fred. <laughs> not, not yet so uh so we have a question from sever how does the tome address the events of the broken realm series specifically techless i think it's literally what we just were talking about mm-hmm. um, and then uh what was neferata's plan once the gash got yeeted from ned did her power base come through protecting Shayish and the holdings of Nagash, or was it more protecting her interests? 
Well, her power base didn't even protect her interests. I was going to say neither. Uh, None of the above. As, as we've <laughs> discussed. Uh, so uh, Narazar, I think, uh, was the one in charge. And uh, he just got trashed. So uh, there you go, Ned. Uh, there's the answer to your questions. Um, and Lichcast asks, how much fun and autonomy are the vampires having after events in BR Techless? And what are they doing with it? Um, they're having much fun and much autonomy. And they're just annoying the heck out of each other with it. Like, that just seems to be the entire point here is nobody's yeah. actually doing anything awesome at this point. They're all just like messing with each other. So we'll see I, think how that, plays out. I think that's pretty awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. That seems awesome <laughs> to me. <laughs> and it makes sense because Nagash has ruled with such an iron fist that now there's this huge, gigantic power vacuum. And it's like, Who's going to be able to rise to the top and take over and have enough control to command, at least to somewhat command, all the unified forces of death? And obviously, the Mortarks are probably best positioned to do that. But in the meantime, everybody's going to be squabbling and clawing and fighting for power. I mean, it's going to be an interesting time in Shaiish, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think why we're kind of hedging our bets here is because Archon was always the one who made sure Nagash came back, right? And Archon is gone. So we're not sure what's happening here. And also, this is the first time that Nagash has died, quotes, air quotes, on screen. <laughs> Every other time that he's died, it was ancient history or, well, everybody died because it was the end of the world, right? <laughs> So this is an on-screen death of a god, and we haven't dealt with that before. So, um, you you touched on it, and I was going to bring it up later, but since we're we're in the middle of it, and I don't want to forget. Um, you'd mentioned that Archon is gone. However, this book, uh, at least Manfred's internal monologue, and maybe that's not completely reliable. Uh, he he seems to think that Archon will return eventually. Uh, the list would return, of course. That was rather the point of him. I like that stress is that uh, in that um, like the, the whole point is that he he can he can come back like that that's his nature and like that's that's why he's around to do, like to to be there and maybe it's explicitly to bring Nagash back like maybe that's his purpose is he's always that key I guess maybe uh, we we could possibly assume um, but there's no reason to think that Nagash is permanently gone and what was maybe up for debate is whether Arkan was permanently gone and I don't think that we can we can think that that's the case either um they're both destined to return in probably really dramatic fashion um well i hope it'll be dramatic probably. yeah fingers crossed and i believe that catches us up to the now now which is pretty now right like this is that's yeah. as far as now gets like um, yeah you don't know in a couple of weeks is gonna yeah. <laughs> exactly so um if that's the case we can put the timeline to bed a little bit and let's talk about the uh the army itself uh, let's it's history is ancient history let's talk about let's talk about the now um so uh i'm trying to think the best way to ask this question i guess i can ask it just outright um i phrase it as such how is this faction organized how do they live what do they what uh, how, for the most part they're denizens of uh Shayish. what's it look like uh for the soul blight to quote unquote live uh in Shayish? you guys got any thoughts on that so we we have a basic power structure, Nagash is at the top, then all the Mortarks, and then everybody else underneath them. And 
each of these figures that heads each of these sub-factions and subsections of the uh, army have their own bases of power. Um, the Mortarks have their cities. Nagash has Nagash Azar. Uh, the Virkos are in their own land, although I don't think that it has a specific name other than Radikar obviously being in uh, Ulfenkarn. Um, and, and so I guess that the point of saying that is that the, the structure is fairly loose. Like they're ba sort of think of like city states in like mid medieval Europe where there's no real true unified power structure, like in Azir where everybody's like following Sigmar and they're all going to do the same thing. Like Nagash can, when he needs to enforce his will and get everybody to like come together and fight together, but they don't want to like, there are all these separate factions that all like to do their own different things in their own different ways. And they all basically rule their own cities and kingdoms and hamlets and do it in their own ways. Well, and I think the, the salient point here is that this book is full of cults of personalities. And what I mean by that is that the faction is organized by the oldest sire, as it were, or the most powerful member of a lineage. Um, so we've got Neferata, we've got Manfred, we've got Magovai, we've got Prince Vordry, and then we've got um, Belladonna, uh, I believe. Um, so we've got the sires of the lineage, and the factions seem to be piled in between these. There are a couple of uh, other little outliers that we will talk about a little bit later that aren't necessarily vampires, um, and there are some of these lineages that specifically talks about they were destroyed during the Age of Chaos, when Chaos took over, or perhaps in the Age of Myth, um, but these are the five that we have right now, and they are all dependent, derive their character, where they are, what they do from that individual at the head of those dynasties. Yeah, and it's it's interesting in that when we're speaking of dynasties, like they're 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 constantly evolving to some degree in that like new vampires are being created. Maybe not regularly, maybe not all the time, but like uh the dynasties are being expanded and uh sort of developed and in doing so like there's it creates downward like hierarchies as well um that are you know folks uh pledging their allegiances you know to the, the person that sired them um but then in doing so then that just creates more opportunities for sort of uh for what's the word not infighting but you know uh jockeying for position um in this and then again it, it's it's kind of contrary to what a death army typically is, is that so much sort of autonomy and infighting um, that is allowed, whereas you don't normally see that in a lot of uh, other, I think in, I'm thinking of like the Bone Reapers specifically, or maybe even to the, some degree like the the, um, the Night Haunt as well. They're not so, so very unified in consciousness or in purpose, um, but they are, it's very self-serving. Uh, however, in being self-serving that it, it's, it, also contributes to the glory in Nagash, sort of incidentally, oftentimes until Nagash like calls his banners, so to speak. Um, uh, another thing I want to call out is that it's not just the undead. Um, they the the way the vampires live is it, you can only really ever survive uh, by sucking the life out of the living, and so 
out of necessity, there is that that living component as well. That doesn't necessarily take the most uh, prominent position in like the army per se, but that is how they exist. Whether they live in cities full of you know uh, f- full of humans that need to be um, you know sucked dry, and we sort of talk about what that what that looks like, or if they're going out and literally like farming. Uh, or, or harvesting, you know, villages and city, or you know, smaller cities and things, and conquering them, and and not unlike the Bone Reapers, um, sort of taking their due um, from the the living mortal residents um, of Shayish as well. And so, it, with without that sort of prey dynamic, they wouldn't necessarily survive either. So um, there's there's that uh, sort of if you wanted. Another brand of farming uh, in the moral realms. This is yet another example of how how that how that might might work. Yeah, this is a uh, battle tome farmers right here. Mm-hmm. I feel like we make that joke every every battle tome. We come up with another way to link it to farming, and so this is yet another uh, example. Well, it's the farming game. I mean, um, can't have society without farms. So exactly. Uh, so the other thing is that their actions are by definition, motivated by blood in one way or another, right? They are motivated by the blood of the blood kiss, so they are transferring this vampiric curse, but also they all need to drink blood in some measure after some fashion. Um, and we talked about uh, about how they organize, so they, they do farm, they do keep these chattel, these, uh, this prey, um, and the thing is that one of the cool dynamics is how the vampires actually treat that prey, treat that chattel changes um, between all the different dynasties and all the different factions. So this is one of the factions that you can't just give one answer, right? You know, it's not like cities of Sigmar where what motivates their actions? Well, they're trying to take back the realms, right? Well, Well, how do they accomplish their goals? They dedicate themselves to Sigmar and they go and fight wars in the realms in the name of Sigmar. That's that's not this battle tome. Every every army that you can make out of this battle tome can be completely unique and completely interesting, um, and your own complete culture. So that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. it's true. It's true. I, mean, I guess this is probably a good place to point out that, like, even within the different sub factions there's like sub sub factions of different groups of vampires that treat blood and its consumption in different ways um like they they i don't remember where it is in the book but they have these parts where they talk about this sort of i i I guess club for lack of a better term um of vampires that basically treat blood like wine and they specifically like seek out specific flavors of blood um, and vintages that they, and then making points of like getting the best flavors from people dying in battle. Um, So some, some very gruesome, interesting sort of settings there. Yeah. I love the, 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 and they're talking about that. They're talking about how they would find a lineage and be like, Oh, there's some good flavor in this lineage. And then, oh, there's some good flavor in this lineage. Let's have them have babies. And then let's keep refining that 
and picking the best blood out of all the lineage for generation after generation until we get, oh, this is the perfect one, right? Like, it's not even like, oh, this would be cool if they're dying. It's it's literally like they're making wine and generation after generation learning one little small thing that makes it just that little bit better. But instead of making sure that the ground is perfectly drained and the weather is absolutely perfect, it's literally like, no, it's it's this male from this line and this female from this line. And it yeah, it, that was really dark <laughs> and absolutely wonderful at the same time. Well, I mean, it's literally like animal husbandry, right? So again, yeah. the farming like uh, <laughs> concepts, conceits. Uh, um, it's, yeah. Uh, so um, we talked about, well, you, you mentioned City of Sigmar makes me think about humans. I'm, I'm curious uh, who they're, who you guys think their allies and their enemies are. And now we're going to look sort of beyond the the confines of Shayish. Um, what what uh, when it comes to interacting with the the realms at large and the denizens therein? Um, who 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 who's on their good side? Who's on their bad side? I don't, I don't know that they really have a lot of true allies outside of the other factions of death. Um, I would imagine that they fairly regularly would fight alongside the Night Hunt or the Ossiarch Bone Reapers. But they do, I mean, as we talked about briefly earlier in the Age of Chaos, when when pushed to have to deal with chaos, the armies of death will fight alongside other armies. Um, but I don't think you would necessarily call them allies. Yeah, allies out of, uh, out of necessity. But like even so... Um, the 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 far the far reaching um, forces of death. Like I think they have a lot of opportunity to call on. I mean, they, they've got plenty of people, quote unquote, people to call upon. Um, I think they, at some point they talk about having to work with the OCR Bone Reapers, despite the fact that like the Bone Reapers are always eyeing up their skeleton forces and they're always you know licking their bony lips to try to get their hands on them. <laughs> um, it doesn't talk too much about them joining up with the night haunt, but I even imagine it would it would it would happen uh, when when necessary. But um, I think death is uniquely situated in that it, it oftentimes is or, or can march to war as sort of a monolith, and um, those available th- those who are available to fight would 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 join under a, a given banner to you know stick it to the living. Mm-hmm. Well. And I, I would say their enemies really are those who, for example, uh, in, in Broken Realm Seclus, burn the dead, right? Yeah. Those who deprive them of their resources. The people who can ward the dead can keep the dead from rising, right? We have heard about that. We've talked about that in other, um, in other battle tomes and in other Black Library books is they do have an actual something to fear, which is that their resource of the dead is something that can run out, that can be taken from them. Um, So their enemies truly are those who respect the dead enough to ward them from undeath. Well, and given that they're an arm of Nagash's forces, right? Like, yeah, enemies of Nagash are always those that are, like, quote-unquote, stealing the souls from them. And so in doing so, like, it, that not only can, like, the bodies run out, but, like, they're against those who can, like, protect their souls or steal the souls, uh, as the case may be. Um, I'll call out a question. 
question offered by a war war boss Grim Daka. And he asks, uh, do you think someone pledged to the force of order, say a Venari warden, can be given the blood kiss and remain loyal to it? Uh, I'm going to change that question a little, or, or change the topic a smidge. But am I mistaken? But did I read in this book that typically those that are made vampires are given the blood kiss are are almost always humans? Did I dream that or is that in here? No, that that is true. But they did say there are have been cases of, I believe, at some point. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. and I think I feel like we've seen some in stories as well. I don't know. I can't. Remember. I want to say that there was like a dwarven uh, vampire. Um, but to then back to his question: Could a force, uh, someone pledged to the force of order, say a warden, be given the blood kiss and remain loyal to it? That also harkens back to a different part of the battle tome, where I think Paul, you'd brought it up earlier. But not every vampire is evil, and some mm-hmm. do try to struggle against their the bestial sort of nature that comes along with becoming a vampire. Um, so, with those two bits of information, could say a Vernari warden be given the blood kiss and then remain loyal to like order? I think the answer is yes. I don't think it's common. I don't think it happens all the time, but like, I see no reason why that couldn't uh, occur in the moral realms. What do you guys think? I think that it's possible that they wouldn't become just like outright evil. I think it would be very difficult for them to continue to be somehow loyal to the forces of order just because we know from other explanations that we haven't talked about yet, but we're getting to, that denying the hunger and like starving themselves and not feeding is eventually going to drive them to become bestial true um and i i have a hard time imagining forces of order just being like yeah it's totally cool just kill a few people every once in a while drink their blood um so could you name any any force of order that doesn't casually kill like other people like all the time right i mean i guess if they only fed during battle or something but like i don't know it's still it still just doesn't feel like something that they would just be cool with but maybe yeah i agree so i i think it's fascinating that he specifically talks about a venari warden because i would feel that lumineth would be particularly susceptible to not being able to control this because they have to use ether quartz already to control their emotion. Right. Right. Can they choose which emotion for the ether quartz to take or because it removes emotion, would they not just look at it and say, well, the obvious answer is I just go start drinking blood. I can't remove this. I can't study this away, right? I would think they would hit a rational point and say, well, it no longer benefits me whatsoever to continue with this association because why would I continue to be a part of an army that is my food now, right? Right. Maybe the Daughters of Cain actually could have a lot of vampires and not have it be much of a problem at all, but... That's because yeah. they already drink blood, which raises some other questions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've just I think you've just touched on a, a deep a deep mystery there. So if you were a daughter of Cain, right, and you did need to drink blood, but the blood makes you youthful, would you make yourself a baby? If you drank too much blood. <laughs> uh, and never thought about moon- it before. 
And if the moon were made out of cheese, uh, would you eat it? Oh, man. Skaven vampires? That could be pretty sweet. If it was made of barbecue spare ribs, would you eat it then? Um, so, <laughs> all right. I think that uh, Warboss, Grimdack, I think we answered your, your question completely. Um, and answered 17 questions you didn't ask as well. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to shift gears a little bit because – We've got a whole bunch of new models and new units and new cool things in this book, and I want to make sure we talk about them. Um, so did you guys have any favorites of, of the new stuff that came out? Um, and I guess you can, we can define new loosely. Were there any uh, units, models, stories that came along with them that grabbed you guys that you, uh, you folks want to chat about? Phil, I will let you take first choice. Sure. Well, I guess the... Th- the only new things that I enjoyed, because I, I thoroughly dislike the Avangori, they're just not for me. And that's that's a good thing, I think. There has to be some balance where there are things that other some people don't like and things that other people do like, because it, it, it keeps things interesting. Um, but I did like the Virkos bloodline, um, although in talking... <laughs> about them with my wife she's like aren't they just werewolves and i had a really hard time defending the point that they're not just werewolves <laughs> so um unfortunately i think they're just werewolves folks uh but <laughs> i did find them interesting um and i specifically thought that their matriarch was very interesting so i'll start with her um and that is belladama uh volga and so this story is sort of spread out throughout the whole battle tome, but we essentially find out that the Virkos bloodline was not given by either Manfred or Neferata, but instead was begun by a god beast who imposed uh, the sort of was contacted by Belladama and was willing to give her uh, some power. And in because he's this great wolf, they, the curse then granted all of her line this wolf-like appearance as well. Um, so we know why she's wolf-like um, and that all of those related to her are also wolf-like. Suffice it to say, uh, so yeah, evidently curses from other creatures can turn things into vampires as well. I just, I, that, that piece just really, I thought was such a great way to pull God beasts back into the story. Cause we hear about them so infrequently. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I almost wish that they would talk about it more because it was just like a quick one-off thing of just being like, yeah, but here's the thing. And a God beast gave them their vampiric ancestry. And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Does that mean that like all god beasts in Shaiish could do this? Um, like what are the implications here? But they don't talk about that. So maybe we'll find out more about it. Um, mm-hmm. But we also find out a little bit more about Belladama, just her personality in that there's a, there's a sort of legend that's trotted out at the beginning of her unit entry in this uh, battle tome where it talks about how um, 
sort of like if if you see her on the horizon, it's like a curse upon you and that you know that it's impending disaster if you see her once. And if you see her twice, um, it heralds the death of a close, I guess it specifically says lover, but a, a you know, family member, a close someone who's close to you. And if you see her three times on the horizon, that you're you're a goner. Like there's just nothing they can do for you. Um mm-hmm. And we also get another story of a little starving girl that she meets in the woods on a a chance encounter and she feeds her and the girl begs her three times to help her starving family. And every time she denies her and on the final request, she then technically grants her wish by magically transforming her family all into wolves who then devour the rest of her village and are no longer starving. So, uh, and it specifically says that she, she laughs as they feasted upon the rest of their village. So we know that this is a, this is a woman of like just absolutely horrendous and terrible humor, uh, and is willing to use her powers like in these sorts of twisted ways. Um, and obviously has very little regard for the mortals that live in her territories. Yeah. I love that this dynasty is basically just dark old Russian folklore to the hilt, right? They're, they're from the freezing forests. They just, they, they have tasks and riddles and, you know, like it, yeah. It, they really flesh this out really well to be something super cool to play with. Um, and to spin it back from Radukar into this is awesome, right? Because Radukar has his own story and his own cool thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, but you liked him. But wait, there's more. And it's even more to this, right? Definitely. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Paul, did you have a favorite new unit? Or thing that don't so, came out. Yeah, I really like the Evangori. Um, <laughs> I love the. I'm going to turn into a beast, but I'm not going to be completely bestial, right? Like it. it we've had that idea before in Usheron, um, which is the flesh eater courts where they have completely given over to their bestial nature, but they're not necessarily dead, right? They're, they're ghouls and, um, and vampires in that, but they believe they're something else, right? Um, but with the Avangori, they literally are centaurs or just abominations, right? Is really what it is, is they are something that is so terrible to look at. Even they can't, truly stand to look at themselves but they still are who they are and um when they talked about lack of eye uh, it it talked about confronting a zinchian sorcerer and so i saw a lot of people that were like oh she was turned into a centaur by zinchian magic well no actually she was in a pool of ghoulish magic and so instead of Zinch changing her, which would make sense and be a kind of a cool thing. She actually was 
consumed and changed by the realm itself. And she was a vampire before this, and she was a proud, noble vampire, as it says. Um, but then she became transformed and basically became a, a hermit who just was horrified by herself and everything about her. Um, before, the, this was a, a cool touch that I really appreciated. Um, there were other vampires who were waiting on the cusp of the nadir when the um, necroquake when the necroquake happened, and they were so anxious to have this power, but the necroquake actually transformed them into more of these Avangori. It was way too much for them to handle all at once. And so we have Lakavai, but now Lakavai also has companions, as it were, of her um, dynasty. And so we get this transmutation creation um, aspect. And this dynasty is very much about the bestial aspect and giving into it, but still knowing who they were. They still retain some semblance of who they were before their transformation. Um, I just like that it's a completely different idea uh, that we haven't seen before. And I, I don't think that it doesn't match the idea of what we have had of vampires before. So I, I was... I really enjoyed the background for them. Yeah, right on. <clears throat> I'll just call out that uh, Annette had asked about those Vangorian lords that you were talking about, those vampires that stood at the edge of the necro or the Shreya Nadir during the necroquake. So he had asked, how did the centaur type vampires come to be? And that's how. And then circle them back just real quick. Um, we were talking about the God Beast Town. Thundercake had asked, about, asked for more details about that God Beast Town thing. So we had mentioned that earlier. Um, my favorite new thing that came out uh, is probably the blood knights kit now admittedly the blood knights already existed so they're not as new um but i think spending some time with the with the kit had offered some uh, some level of affection towards it um because it's super sweet super dynamic and a really great kit i'll use that as a segue to then talk about um one another dynasty and that's the castelli uh dynasty and that is a very martial uh, adept at arms type uh vampire and they very much um are, are making attempts to control their sort of bestial nature and sort of um, have have that uh, that discipline. Um, just sort of they see themselves as sort of those like sort of knight type uh, um, individuals, I guess, with honor and so on and so forth. We talked about earlier that they, even they were honor bound to sort of fight alongside the forces of order at that battle of burning skies. However, that. It is not uncommon for the, even them to uh, succumb to their bloodlust and um, to go into sort of like a bestial rage um, when, you know, the, the situation calls for it. Um, so because of that, I think because of the, the, the sweetness of the new Blood Knight kit is then made drawn me to a, a, a dynasty that I never really thought about before. Um, but it uh, is pretty cool. And then... It's, I don't know if he's the leader of this dynasty or just a, a particularly well-named individual. Since we've never really talked about the legions in Nagash before, we can talk about uh, Prince. Is it Vordekai? Is that how you say the name? Vordry, I think. Vordry. Okay, Vordry. Um, 
and that he's the he he thought he could take out Nagash, the yeah. big dummy. Nobody's going to take out Nagash unless your name's Teclas or Archeon. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. So then he got cursed, and so he was always doomed to uh, um, be, I don't know if he's trapped within or bound to this crimson keep that, like, travels all over all over the realms and appears in random places. And so um, he uh, is, is, is tied to it and, and, you know, sort of can only sally forth from it alongside of whole, you know, a whole host of blood knights that um, are almost knights intentionally because if the, they need to be mounted, they need to be able to move quick in case the Crimson Keep leaves them and they need to chase it down because it's always on the move, which I thought was a fun little, little blurb. Um, but then uh, the prince has his sights that one day, especially now that Nagash has sort of been laid low, uh, there may be an opportunity for him to uh, with a more carefully laid out plan, um, take take Nagash out permanently, or you know, break free of of his curse, which is pretty neat. Yeah, which should be an interesting storyline that he might be able to break free of the Crimson Keep. Um, I think it maybe just to put a finer point on this dynasty, they while they are a dynasty specifically, they are not like the other dynasties in that they're not descended. It, you know, it's not like a lineage. These are specifically mm-hmm. vampires who seek out the Crimson Keep to join and like prove their worth to be good enough in combat to join this group. Um, and so they're like only the best fighters and only the most martial vampires. Um, so I thought that was very interesting that they're, they're unique in that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah agreed. Well, it's fun to take different aspects of what it means to be a vampire, right? Like that's the whole point of, of factions like these in all of the army books is, is to take a, a thing that maybe is well known or kind of well known. And how do you look at it from different angles? And so this is, this is one way to do so. And then, uh, we've got Neferata's, um, dynasty, which is the, the dynasty of blood. Um, so Neferata, Legion of Blood, even. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned way back when, at the beginning of the episode, if you were still listening there and you made it here, congratulations. You're doing great. Good uh, job, you. <laughs> she's from the old world. Uh, but I didn't really elaborate on how courtly and mannerly she is. Um, her character is very much defined as a spy mistress. Um she is the spider at the center of the web and really is able to pull those strings to manipulate um, pretty much anything and pretty much anywhere. It really talks about how she has all the information about who is what, where is, you know, where is this person going? When the little story we talked about with Manfred, Manfred was like, maybe I should try and be secret. No, Neferat already knows I'm here. It's not even worth trying to be secretive at this point. Um, and it's really illustrated really well in the Broken Realms, Bellacor, uh, where it talks about her trying to do the little Nabirs. Or is that Teclas? It's in Teclas. Teclas, yeah. yeah. It's really illustrated well in Broken Realms, Teclas, where she's trying to make her little mini Nadir for Nagash, and she makes everybody go away not because of her super amazing power, but just by infiltrating the Caradron society to the point where everybody just doesn't go there because they all know it's not a great place to go. Um, 
So she is the misdirection and the assassination and very much uh, courtly 18th century European royalty. Um, it, it, she's a very cool character. Um, and a lot of her vampires uh, tend to be that kind of conniving, secretive, um, guileful character. So that's a, a fun thing. Yeah. Um, Ned had a lot of questions here, but here's one. He's, he's asking, uh, are other lines, bloodlines, I think he means, uh, as adept at having spies and thralls like Marathi or do they not care so much about yada yada yada? The point being is, um, I would when I think of spies and thralls, I don't think of Marathi. I think of Neferata. It's more like other factions have spies and thralls, like Neferata does. It's not yeah. not, not vice versa. Um, I almost and wonder so, if that was a typo in his question. Did he mean Neferata? Yeah. Did he mean? Oh, that? maybe. I mean, Marathi does have spies, so he's not too yeah, far. I mean, she off. wouldn't be. He yeah. wouldn't be wrong to say that, but it's just. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you. Like, I think sure. of her as the spy master. Yeah. And so when he talks about, do they ha- want to have nothing to do with other races? I think the Legion of Blood is specifically positioned to have a lot to do with other races. They're most interested in what the other races are doing, uh, and which is why she installs also any number of spies in any number of places, and not just in human cities, but in, in other locales, locales as well. In fact, we saw in Broken Realms, was, no, it was a short story, a broken realm short story when she had like those assassins kicking it in one of the KO like skyports or stuff. Or yeah. Like, so that, those were Neferata's uh, people that yeah. that we saw there. So so if we were are to assume that this is a typo and it is Neferata, I'll answer that question, uh, which is that uh, Radukar actually does have this network of spies and thralls. Uh, like Neferata does in Ulfenkarn. Um, when he overthrew the city, he knew those who were loyal and those who were not. Uh, and he transformed those who were loyal into vampires and he killed everyone else. Right? Um, yeah. So <laughs> I think the possibility is definitely there and Radikar definitely illustrates that possibility really well. Um, but it doesn't seem to be the straight this is what the dynasty does like Neferata. Um, but individual vampires are wants to act as they want to. Just try and stop them. (laughs) And we did mention earlier, uh, in the age of myth, that story, um, about the dwarves fighting that that's Manfred lining all that up. So we know Manfred's capable of it and does it from time to time. I just think, he only does what he needs to do. Like he, I don't think he gains the same level of pleasure from the conniving and planning and scheming that Neferata does. I think he just is more goal oriented. Like he doesn't want knowledge for knowledge sake. It's like, I have this plan. And so I will do what I need to, to set that up and play my 3d chess so that eventually when it happens, my forces can fall on a foe who has basically already been beaten. That's a pretty good segue into uh, Manfred. Exactly what I was going to say. Go ahead. So we're talking about the, the Legion of Night. So Manfred is the the typical Warhammer fantasy or standard folklore vampire who goes around, raises the dead, assails the living with masses of zombies and masses of skeletons and he is the head of the army 
that is the death rattle legions really specifically. Um, so he will be the one that will just drown you in a tide of the dead and who he is cunning and he is interesting, but he will use anything in his power. I, back in the, the beginning, uh, there was a, a, an audio series about the, the red wah, I think it was, where it was uh, Manfred being chased by Stormcast and just using anything in the ground. There were undead ogres. There were just anything was his fodder. And he was able to deal with all of it and manipulate it and to use it for his ability. Right? Whereas um, Neferata would send somebody out to figure out what the best way is to be able to um, manipulate this person into the right position and manipulate these people into fighting for her, right? Manfred is really just the bold fist who goes in and just uses brute force to get what he wants. Yeah, I, I guess I would almost describe Manfred as a like consummate opportunist. He's mm-hmm. going to take the path of least resistance at all times. Um, he's never going to have to like do do things the hard way. Um, whereas like the Castellite dynasty, that's, that's pretty much all they do because they think that it's honorable. Um, so he's, I mean, he's almost a coward, like almost, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily call him a coward, <laughs> he's, but he's towing that line. Yeah. But like, he's, he's never going to take a fight squarely. He's always going to be falling back, and falling back until finally his opponent is fallen into a trap and they're like, man, this guy's never going to actually stand and fight. And then he's like, well, now you've out, you know, I've outmaneuvered you now and now I'll fight you when I know you've already lost. And I mean, he does the same stuff with Nagash and it's so dumb because (laughs) like, as we've seen throughout all these stories from before like in end times, he thought he was going to be able to wait around and one up Nagash and nope. <laughs> and now he's doing the same stuff again. So I don't know if he's just like thinks that he's better than he really is. So maybe he's got some hubris problems or if he's just really short sighted and just not as. I, uh, I think all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair. And I, and this is coming from a guy who likes Manfred. Um, yeah. I can I still recognize this plus. Uh, Manfred is the one character in Warhammer lore that everybody loves to hate. Right? <laughs> like that is his character for I sure. I hate him. He literally blew up the old world. It is his fault. Yeah. <laughs> um so t- t- taking a step back and t- taking a more global look, a lot of these battle tomes, um, it's clear that there's a like a main sub faction. Like there's the one that is like the real one. And then there's all these sort of offshoots. I uh, think, um, Yometrica for, um, Lumineth or the iron, I think it's iron rock for, uh, the deep kin, et cetera, et cetera. There's like the main Marathi one, so on and so forth. Do you guys think that there's a main, like a default, a generic, uh, uh, I guess sub faction of this book and is it Legion of night? Um, or do you think this one doesn't have one? I don't think it really does. Uh, I think, I think there's a lot of flavor here that, um, like depending on who you are as a person probably is going to dictate 
which one of these factions you think is the right choice. Um, now that that may be defined by their rules and how they play on the battlefield. That may be defined by just aesthetics that you like, because they're all very different. Um, and so I imagine that everyone's going to have the one that they gravitate towards and that they think is the, the like true choice. Um, and I don't, I don't know that there really is one dominant sub faction here. Yeah, I agree. Do do you guys even agree? And this is maybe maybe I'll just cut this. But do you do you even agree that there that some battle tomes do have dominant sub factions in the first place? Or am I making that statement and that and you don't necessarily agree with that? I think that that's probably fairly true. I think mm. most like Dracothian's Tail is the Seraphon one, right? Like that's the the main one. Gen- um, I was gonna say actually that Seraphon's probably another one that is not very defined because they're because each one is like a different way to play seraphon right okay so yeah. it's like what do you like best and then that's your choice but um but i would say like you're dead on and talk saying like yeah lumineth has their main thing and uh the I mean, maybe maybe the destruction factions don't so much, but maybe that's just because their factions are a little less diverse. Um, well, but but like Cities of Sigmar, right, has Hammerhall, and Hammerhall is definitely like the thing, right? And and um, you have the Iron Jaws, and Iron Jaws have Gordrak, right? Like sure. Gordrak is definitely the main narrative thrust, and you've got the Moon Clan, and they've got Skagrot. And he's definitely like the main player. And and the thing tying those together is the narrative is really present right now. And that's the intriguing thing about this area is that these are all narratively driven dynasties. And they're all actually pretty important in the narrative right now. But they are fairly balanced. We don't have it because we lost the agent, right? We lost Nagash. And so I, I think this battle tome does a really good job of reflecting that at this point in time, they are not united and you can kind of do whatever you want to, not only in building your army, but narratively. I mean, if you want to take one of those dynasties from the age of chaos and be like, oh, somebody was able to find this sword and therefore they've gained this blood curse. Like you literally can do anything with this battle tome and you can find a way of making it work. You want to make centaurs? Great, you've got an Avangori list. If you want to do all mounted, great. You can do, you know, the, the Castellai list. Like anything is possible with this. If you want to, you know, do starving humans and you know, you can make living people that are so underfed that they're count as zombies or graveguard or you know, you can do anything. Uh, and I think this would be a super cool uh thing to do. Uh just explore your narrative passion and go for it. I mean, the our good friend, So Monk Gamer, um, made, good this, friend. <laughs> uh, made this crazy death army, right? Where he had an ogre, vampire, or necromancer, and like he, he wanted to use one unit of every army. And this book makes it feel like, oh, yeah, that totally works. We could make that work. We can figure out how that works, you know? Especially because they released the Anvil of Apotheosis rules the same month. Like they came in the White Dwarf the same day that the Battle Dome was released. So you can do anything, and and that's pretty awesome. 
All right. Speaking of possibilities, let's touch on another question from Ned. I think this is the last Ned question. We've had a lot of Ned questions. Um, yes. Uh, are there any bloodlines, any other bloodlines uh, in the lore, or is it just the main ones listed? I don't remember other bloodlines, which is not to say you can't make your own, but what do you guys think? I don't think that there's any called out by name, but we definitely know that there are lots of independent groups of vampires that just hang out. And there's absolutely no reason that they, they couldn't be a named group that you create and say, this is the so-and-so bloodline or dynasty descended from this bloodline and this is how they function. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that it does, this battle thumb does really well is it, it does put in a lot of seeds of like, this is what Neferata does. But there are vampires that are sired by Neferata that are now in Gur, and they act completely differently. And this subfaction might go here, and then they would be completely differently. Like, because they are a self-sustaining force, they can make their own army wherever they are. They can go anywhere and develop their own customs anywhere and their own rituals and their own understandings. And I do feel like we have seen or read a couple of different, like, this is the thing that this group does. That's it. That's all we find out about the group. We might have a name or something else, but not, there's nothing about a different specific dynasty listed in the lore. But it is wide open for you to create that. Yeah. So Ned, tell us what, what dynasty you make. Um, all right, let's jump into some more of the special characters, though fortunately we've talked about a few of them already. Uh, I'll point out that Paul talked about Laukavai, Laukavai, um, and I didn't ask the question before, but Elf, Elf Kinney had asked, uh, what's the deal with Laukavai? Uh, why in the Nine Realms is she a dragon lady? Paul talked about that. Check. Checkmate. Um, <laughs> uh, Phil had talked about Belladama Volga, first of the Virkos, uh, so we can check that one off the list. Uh, should we quickly... Uh, Gab about um, the two other well I guess there's three uh, some of the other um, Virkos named characters that have been introduced in this book does anybody have a f another so, favorite they want to bring up I definitely think we should but I do want to touch on a few other things from the Evangori since we mentioned Laukavai again um, I think it's just a salient point that once Laukavai is in existence and that there's vampires aware of this group, that there are vampires who seek out the Avengori and want to become like embrace this bestial nature. And they do go into extreme detail of like this, uh, I guess like ritual of starvation that they go through to try and force themselves to transform into the whatever they're called, the Vengorian lords. Um, and when it doesn't work, they just get turned into uh, Vargeists and they just turn into giant, big, like berserk bat creatures. So mm -hmm. um, lots to explore there if you do like those sort of monstrous uh characters and i i think that there's a lot of interesting story to be played with there um so if you like those dive in i don't but <laughs> more power to you folks um, <laughs> but yeah i think i think of these other uh characters from the virkos i think 
Kritza, the Rat Prince, is probably the next one that I think is fairly interesting. Um, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, someone yeah. else to say. <laughs> you know? So, so I guess the abridged version of Kritza's story is that Kritza betrays Radikar. Um, Radikar finds out about it, beats him to an like an inch of. I guess he wasn't a vampire yet at this point, so he like beats him to within an inch of death and he's thrown into a corpse cart. And at this point, I guess he had gotten the blood kiss somehow. They don't really explain. No, they really gloss right over it. Like as far as I understand it, Radikar and his court would be the only ones who could have done this. So maybe somebody gave it to him on accident, if that's a thing. Um, And so he's, He's already a vampire at this point, but he doesn't know it. And somehow, because he's like his first feeding is on the rats of this corpse cart to keep himself alive. And they specifically describe it as being brackish, which I've always understood brackish to mean salty. So evidently rats have salty blood. I don't know. Um, But so because of that, he then takes on the form of rats rather than wolves, which... I don't really understand how that jives with the explanation of the the bloodline of Belladama always having the uh, the wolf nature that uh, the the god beast granted, but it's still kind of cool. And they they describe how he becomes this sort of conniving figure, and he's very rat like in that way. Um, and that he also does have the ability to turn into a swarm of rats and that there are many cases where people have thought that they've had him beat. He turns into a swarm of rats to disappear and then suddenly he'll come back together and get them when they least expect it. Yeah. Stab them in the back. And it's because of that mechanic. It makes me wonder if he, he should have been a cursed city boss yeah. because it's well, it's the same thing where like they kill something like you kill something multiple times right in the game like that's how they explain why you fight somebody we'll get some expanded yeah. rules in like a white dwarf or something uh, I, I do have the current white dwarf and they're talking about how there will be more content in white dwarf in the future so oh, okay mm. well good well, there you go um we also have lady annika the thirsting blade um so she again is a straight out of Elfenkarn uh vampire um, but she is a blood-sucking bat, is her totem animal. Um, and I think the way that they've explained it is that uh, the, the, the totem animal seems to be the thing about the Vargir or the, the, uh, the Virkos, excuse me, um, is she, Lady Belladama, was super into the wolf, and that's why she became a wolf. And so they're playing off this, having a totem animal and transforming into a vampire that has aspects of that totem animal. Um, and so Lady Annika is supposed to have a totem of a, a blood-sucking bat. Um, and the cool little detail here is that she is just profoundly thirsty for blood at all times. It just, it's, it's a, a burning desire with her. Um, but this is cool. It is even gossiped by her Velo Virkos that she ingests vials of blood tinged with the Quicksilver Realm Stone known as Shamanite, heightening her reflexes without heat of any transmuting side effects. 
So um, this is super cool uh, because it reminds me of a, a fantasy series that I read where they were consuming metal and burning it to be cool things. Oh, I hated that book. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> uh, so this is a different aspect of it, um, but she is the master of ceremonies for the city of Ulfenkarn. And she's also trying to take power as well uh, as, uh, as Kritza and Radikar and everybody. Um, and she is just mad with her bloodlust and uh, a cool little character. But then that kind of leads us on to Radikar. Um, so, Aaron, do you want to talk about Radikar? I love your segues. Yeah. Um, so we already touched on Radikar a little bit in the beginning in that in the Age of Myth when uh, the city of Ulfenkarn, it, wasn't, it was called the Mournholds. Yes. I think um, when it was being attacked by uh, chaos, uh, Radikar comes to its aid with his like host of undead, um, like zombie ogres. He comes to save the city. They're saved. He defends it. And he doesn't, he's a vampire at this point, but he doesn't try and take the city over. No, he offers uh, to just join the sort of the ranks of the aristocrat, aristocracy, aristocrat. Arist- anyways, aristocracy. aristocracy. There you go. Um, <laughs> And so everyone's like, all right, cool. It's a good, it's one of those good vampires we've been hearing about. How awesome is that? Um, over time, uh, he starts offering the kiss to the, the vampire kiss to, you know, select individuals and he starts to grow his power uh, throughout the city. But it's not until the Necroquake hits where he sort of makes his move to just uh, take over the city and sort of full control because the city finds itself uh, on the, on the, the edge of the, and it's about to topple over and so it's at this point where he says you know he sort of throws off all pretense and just eliminates any other uh you know power uh structures in the city and takes the whole place uh for himself um the the city then becomes ruled over by the Vircos and sort of his brood um the, the living are, are afraid to walk the streets especially at night because if they do they're obviously going to get fed on by the vampires the it's under control by a, a you know the the marching lockstep of of skeletons um sort of the olfen watch or, or uh you know keep keep the town under sort of a, an iron iron fist or an iron boot um it turns out that we as gamers uh take the role of some of the those um i guess those forces of order those individuals who have had enough in Ulfenkarn and decided to rise up and so in doing so they start to inspire hope in the city uh they start to take out some of the the key uh, underlings under radicar and eventually uh, they gain enough power and influence in the city that they're able to actually eliminate radicar himself who up until this point uh, through magical means is nigh on immortal. And anytime he gets defeated, his, his soul is saved because of, I don't know, Gravesand or something. Um, but uh, eventually, factories. yeah, there you go. Uh, so eventually the, the heroes do overcome him and he seems to be defeated and like, they're able to then gain some measure of control in the city, but it turns out even then he wasn't defeated. Uh, that wasn't even his final form because uh, in his defeat, he goes, berserk he goes bestial and what was radicar the wolf which is a much more contained composed individual uh he's now radicar the beast where he gets like huge uh really uh wolfish bestial in nature and he basically uh i don't want to say he's out of control but uh he loses his power and is 
than stalking the streets um, and viciously, you know, attacking those that uh, get in his way. That's kind of where we find him now. We don't know what that means for the city. We don't know how they sort of exist or persist uh, with this new, uh, new, I don't know, bestial form of Radicar, but I'm sure things have not gotten easier. I'm sure things have not gotten better uh, under this, under this age. Um, and that's kind of where we leave it. And uh, perhaps there'll be more to come uh, in the cursed city of Olfenkarn. I can only yeah. hope so. Cool. Uh, man, we have covered a lot. We've co- covered units, special characters, sub-factions. We've covered history. Do y'all have any other points of interest, points of interest uh, that, that you want to talk about? I will say that um, for this very deliberately narratively divided faction, we get a another faction, as it were, um, that is not narratively delivered, um, which is the White Kings. Um, we get into these non-dynasty characters, um, and so the White Kings are described as this like no these noble beings that still kind of live on what they were in life, and they they have these kingdoms and. They're specifically called out as being loyal to their places, um, loyal to the the people or the the armies that they control, um, and they don't necessarily cooperate with Nagash. Uh, they are willing to continue to um, live out their society as they see fit. They seem to be the most unique um, and interesting little divergence from the rest of the narrative. Um, and and then we're we kind of get into a little bit about necromancers and and all that kind of stuff, uh, the Mortis engines, the Coven thrones, so the actual models themselves. Um, these are really divided into the different dynasties, but then given their own uh, bit of a background, there's not too much I think that's new from any of these, except for the White Kings, seem to be a little bit cooler. Um, but it, it kind of goes through and just talks about. Um, where they belong, where they fit in. Uh, but the the dynasties are really the cool, interesting little divergence from what we've had before. Um, so the you can have an army led by not a named character, right? If you don't want Prince Fordry, if you don't want Luck of Eye, right? You can have an army led by a White King. You can have an army led by a Necromancer. You can have all of those old types of armies that you used to have. This battle tome does not require you to have a special character or to even use any of the dynasties. Um, so that's a, a nice little thought. If you if you if you listen to this review and are like, oh, it's all about characters and all about narrative, no, not necessarily. You can kind of do what you want as well with the rest of it. So, or just you know, standard vampire lord. There is a vampire lord in the background as well. Um, so you don't even have to use a, a, a dynasty if you want to use vampires too. So. Very yeah. cool. Phil, do you got any other uh, finer points you want to bring up? I I guess I just, as an aside, I think it's interesting that we still have a new revamped version of Nagash in this book to play mm-hmm. with. But we don't have Archon. And mm-hmm. Well, they're both gone in the story, but you booted out Archon and you kept Nagash. So I just think that was a very interesting choice in terms of what people can actually play with. 
Um, it has no bearing on the story whatsoever, but it's just interesting that it's like, wait, well, yeah, Archon's gone in the story, so you can't play with him anymore. But then Nagash is still hanging around. Um, I don't know what how people will feel about that either. Like, if people loved playing with Archon and like that was the centerpiece model for their army, and now they don't have rules for Archon, like, what does that mean for the well, people with those armies? He does have rules in the OCR Bone Reapers. Ah, so there it so is. So that's you, why. Yep, you can still field him on the battlefield, but you just you don't have rules for him in this one. In this army, yeah. So you, yeah. you have to play him with Osiarch. Correct. He's not gone, he's just different. Though I will say, say I mean, so yeah, I agree. That's what I was going to say too. Um, uh, Nagash is also in the Bone Reapers book, and Arkan doesn't have the Bone Reapers keyword. Yeah. So mm. it's kind of a, it's kind of, it's kind of, I think that he's an exception. Like they're, they're, he's, he's out of the norm. He doesn't fit. He doesn't fit yeah. the mold uh, in any, in any particular way. So, which I think sums up Arkan basically. Cool. Uh, I got some other listener questions. If you guys would indulge me. And by that, I mean, <laughs> indulge them. You're not doing me a favor. You're doing them a favor. I guess if we have to. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> let's, let's lead. I shouldn't do, I shouldn't have done his question first, but it's too late. I can't back out now. A certain, a certain Davy. Uh, friend, friend, friend of the show. I mean, I, I guess uh, had a question for us. I should make him be on the episode. What is he doing asking questions? Um, any elaboration on the st- elaboration on the Stormcast that have previous life connections to Shyish and possibly the vampires? Tarsum or Tarsus Bullhart? Ionis Cripborn, uh, whose his old name was Van Densk. Um or no? Or is he talking about Van Dens? The who's the guy from Broken Realms Marathi? Van something? Uh, Van Brecht. Brecht, yeah, yeah, exactly. So on and so forth. Any connections? No, none, zero. No. Sorry, Davy. Oh, not, for one, not mentioned yeah. at all. If you if you want those, there are connections uh, that are specifically called out in the Halos campaign. I don't think that they say that this is where Ionis did this and this thing, uh, but White Dwarf did run a Halos campaign over the course of several months um, that did talk about how that was where a lot of the, um, a lot of the storm cast that came from Shayesh came from. And that was uh, one of the cool little taglines to put in there. So um, the uh, Van Brecht dude, he should have had a vampire connection. It should have been explored, but, but they didn't Palmer yeah. um, along the same lines. Uh, Klaus, M.A. Uh, asked, uh, do the Vendents again and Jelson play a role in this book? Not explicitly no. beyond, I mean, they talk about a witch hunters earlier, but it wasn't Jelson specifically. Um, no. I, I believe we think that Jelson's under the control of Neferata. Is that right? That you get that That's, from? Yeah. Yeah, strongly implied. Yeah, but not specifically yeah. called out in this book. So I'm sorry, I led with some bummer bummer answers. I should have done better than that. <laughs> I guess we could... We could tease though that the Vendensed models, the the witch hunter father and daughter, are coming as part of uh, Kragnos. So maybe we'll see more about them soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold your horses. Um, but speaking of Klaus, he had another question. Um, he says, uh, "You scried us." He means us. You scribed about an upcoming Soulblight faction back in episode 44 of Forbidden Power. Look, now, Klaus, you're just flexing on how well you know our episode. <laughs> um, Soulblight faction back in episode 44, uh, talking about it potentially being more than leeching blood. Is that the case here? So to some, I think he's asking, 
do vampires transcend beyond just leeching blood in this book? Do we think they do? I think the Avangori do. Um, and I think that the White King faction actually does as well. Uh, but that's, those are kind of reaching for it. The, they definitely all require blood in order to survive. Um, so I guess that would be my opinion. Yeah. I guess as, as like a deeper detail that we didn't really touch on, but since it kind of relates to this question, Laukavai specifically tries to push the Avangori away from just feeding for feeding's sake and specifically trying to take the blood of the great monsters that roam Gur. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it it sort of is supposed to like improve their monstrous abilities and nature. So, I mean, she's at least a bit more picky about what they eat, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Um, yeah, I, I agree with your statements. Uh, Sever asked uh, for another show. He came over and played Cursity with us. Uh, he's asked, uh, "You get offered to join the ranks of the vampires." Which bloodline do you accept the blood kiss from? I like this one. Uh, I'll give you a second to think. Seconds over. All right, Phil, give me your answer. So I want to say Castle, but that's not an actual bloodline, as I mentioned earlier. So I guess uh, somebody from the bloodline from the Legion of Night and then probably try and work my way away from... Manfred <laughs> and into the knightly order of the Crimson Keep. Paul, what That's do you think? I am. Um, I, I think most people would think that I would say Avangori just so I could be a spider and a vampire at the same time. Um, but um, I think I would probably have to do Virkos. So in, in, in real life, not in model terms, my uh, spirit animal would, would be a squirrel. So I'd just be fascinated by what a vampire with the total animal of a squirrel in the Virkos line would like do. <laughs> I would just like store skulls in random places around the city or something like that. That'd be fun. Um, I, I'm racking my brain to think of a different answer from Phil, but I think Phil's answer is the right answer. It's the correct answer in a question that doesn't have a correct answer. Um, and that, yeah, no, I don't, if, if I could cut it if i could swing it i would try and join the kessley uh group and so i don't know whatever wherever i have to start to get there i mean honestly they all descend from nefrata and manfred anyway so so be it not everybody but many of them do uh i don't think i'm savage enough plus i don't like the cold uh enough for me to be a virkos vampire so uh, i'm stealing phil's answer and being lame at the same time um those are the listener questions as have been presented to me let's uh let's go to one of my favorite segments and that is um any black library examples that folks could read to uh learn more about the soul blight uh vampires and their ilk um and to expand our knowledge base did you guys have do you guys have any black library stories that you would recommend uh nagash the undying king by josh reynolds yeah, I love that one. Yeah, it's uh, one of my favorites. It's it's definitely it's it's a reach back, but you know, to have a good understanding of all of the stuff that happens with Manfred and Nagash and Neferata 
and Archon, you kind of have to go back to the old world. So that if that is definitely like the story, probably to get you all that background information. Um, maybe, maybe more of, I, I personally haven't read like any of these, but um, I see you've called out the Neferata series. Uh, there's a whole group of stories about her and her background. And that's probably a good place as well, just because we know that she was the first of the vampires. Yeah. And that's by David Annandale, but he's got a bunch of them, a bunch of novels and short stories uh, around Neferata. Uh, and furthermore, there's the old um, Mortark of Night series, which is it started off as those audio dramas written by Josh Reynolds and David Geimer, which is gives you quite a bit of insight into uh, Manfred. Um, but between that and the Neferata series, those are some old older stories. But there's been actually a couple of new things that have come out recently that I think would be worth your guys' while to get a maybe uh, more recent, more current uh, glimpse into the Soulblight Gravelords. And those would be um, the Cursed City novel by C.L. Werner, which follows uh, the titular Cursed City of uh, Olfenkarn um, and uh, the folks who live there. Um under the under the thumb of Radicar, but then also a new one that I haven't read, but I'll bring it up in that there's the Dynasty of Monsters by David Annandale as well, uh, and I know that it has a some sort of Vangorian Lord, or maybe even it's um, what's her face, uh, maybe she's on the cover. I can't, I'm not exactly sure, but I think she uh, I'm sure I've heard I've had a couple people tell me now that it's actually pretty good. So uh, maybe give that a check out if you want to find out about. Found find out more about that new dynasty of vampires that have just come out. Give it a shot, and then let us know what you think. I'd love to hear uh, how it goes for you. Good stuff. Yeah, exactly. So with that, we'll we'll wrap it up with our final uh, review highlights thoughts. Give me your your final take on this here battle tome. Um, I enjoyed it. Um... It does seem to be, I don't, I don't think we really talked about this, but it does seem to be firmly set into right now. Um, it is after the actions of Broken Realms Techless. I, I don't feel like it necessarily is set into the actions of Kragnos yet. Um, I, I don't know what's happening in Kragnos, but I, it doesn't appear to be uh, giving anything to hint about, about that. So it is definitely a product meant to be released about this time. Um, but the, the narrative focus and the narrative... Um, anchor in this book was actually really interesting um, and the new the two new dynasties added a lot of new ideas and new content that I really enjoyed right on Bill what do you think I will say that this is probably the greatest compliment that a battle tome can have in that after reading the stories from the battle tome and reading through all of the background of all of the characters in the army, I'm very tempted to actually want to put models together and play with them. Ooh. Um, and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> because I have so many unpainted Seraphon that I need to work on. But like, if you can in no way be dedicated to an army before you pick up the book, read through it and then go, this is interesting enough that I would want to play with this on the tabletop and paint it and build models of it. And I mean, I guess some of the new models also contribute that the blood Knights were fantastic. Um, yeah, like it, it was pretty much excellent from beginning to end. I felt like the stories were 
compelling. The different bloodlines, depending, you know, take your pick. They There's going to probably be one that speaks to you unless you are just absolutely abhorred by the monstrous nature of uh, vampires in general or the undead, which, I mean, fine, there's plenty of other things in this game, in this world that can be your thing. Um, but I just felt like it was really well put together. Like there was never a part where it felt like, yeah, and then these are like the guys that everybody just kind of hates on, but we included them because we needed to have rules for their models. Right on. Um, man, I'm torn. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Whenever we talk about a book by the end of our conversation, I always like it way more than when we started. Um, and so <laughs> going into this, I, I wasn't convinced that I, I, I liked this book and I feel like I had a number of reasons why I didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't grab me though. After talking about it for however many hours it's been at this point, like I, it's hard for me to grasp those reasons or like to think that they're justified <laughs> anymore. Um, at some points, this book seemed a little soupy to me, and I, I don't really like soup battle tomes all that much. Though now that we've discussed about it, if or discussed more about it, if it is in fact a soup battle tome, it's maybe a good example of one or one of the better example ones. I think sometimes soup and soup battle tomes meaning that they threw a bunch of different stuff and just mixed it all up, um, sort of disparate things that don't necessarily go together. Uh, however. If that is the case for this book, I think they did a, a, a fairly good job of executing on on the soupiness uh, of it. Um, it. It struck a good balance between sort of the vampire aspects of it because that, they really are the cover. You know, they they are the race that um, I think is going to draw most people to the battle. Tomb. Not everyone, but most people. Uh, but it, at the same time, it it did a, a, a valiant job at ensuring that the sort of underling the thralls and things got you know. Uh, some amount of spotlight uh, as well, and sort of it, it's it is a game to sort of balance those those two sides um, a little bit. But at any rate, uh, the the stories were good. Um, it had some good uh, sort of inserts, you know, those, those aside boxed uh, a little bit of flavor, like that one whole pager between um, uh, Neferata and Manfred, I think is probably worth the price of admission. Um, so I really did enjoy that. And I did enjoy the fact that it did seem very set in the now. I think Paul said uh, earlier, you don't always get the in those battle tomes. Um, you can't expect them. I think we're long past the point where we can expect these battle tomes to ever really move the story forward. I don't think they don't, I don't think they do that anymore. But at the very least, I like knowing that it's set in the here and now like that's the next best thing is knowing that it's caught right up to that to that current timeline um we were talking before we started recording uh phil and i and i think paul jumped in is that it does leave that little hint that little breadcrumb as to where this uh soul blight vampire like civil war is gonna go i we i think we were kind of hyped up about it in previous uh previous episodes or conversations um however then i'm concerned that this is now going to be a storyline that is either dropped or le left languishing for a long time because the camera is going to move away from, you know, these death characters and into new, new frontiers with the third edition. And because of that, I'm a little, I'm just saddened, I guess that like, I, I want to see a fin, I want to see this end somewhere in the near, in the very near future. And I don't have to wait to see where it's going to go. Uh, but I, I'm worried we are going to have to wait, wait to see where it goes. At any rate, uh, what I, what I think about the book it's good. It's a good sequel, I guess, if we consider it um, uh, as a follow-up to the Legions and Nagash. And if this was a soup battle tome, then that definitely was a soup battle tome. So I think this is an improvement. It's a good evolution. And um, I hope to see it maybe more refined or focused uh, as 
time goes on, which is maybe just my personal opinion, because I imagine there's plenty of people out there that want it as broadened and widened as possible. Uh, but I'm not one of those people. Deal with it. All right. Uh, with that, one more thing that I'll say at the end, which is to say uh, Games Workshop was very kind and generous enough to send us this battle tome so that we could talk about it uh, for you, the dear listeners. And so for that, we appreciate it. And uh, thanks. Thumbs up. Cool, cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's end it. It's time for our reforging, but Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Moral Realms. Paul, where can they find you on the internet? At PJ Shard. Hey, Phil, where can they find you? Find me in our Discord, so come on. Oh, bummer. Got a... Got a- I personally would say we have a great community. Lot. Uh, and I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at Dosesos. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Yeah. It, the interesting, the intriguing <laughs> aspect about. I don't even hear it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> about this guys have any questions or thoughts or concerns uh no i don't right on think so well then if, if you have any questions or concerns from here on out keep them to yourself because we're going to record this episode um 